0: This podcast is supported by Red Energy. Powered by the mighty Snowy Hydro, a leader in renewable energy, Red is 100% Australian-owned and local. Phone 131 806. Is it just
1: too much of a coincidence that the only AFL player to get a positive test is the one player who went home to Ireland or went overseas? During the lockdown I can't think that That's a coincidence Myself
2: Caro I have noticed Absolutely Distinctly And obviously A change In the mood In my customers In my family And myself Imagine
1: A Perth Grand Final. This
2: wouldn't be the same, would it? You'd get a nice little flight over to Perth out of it. I don't think so. Presuming that... I don't think they'll be allowing Victorians (laughs) there. you joking? Social media went off. Jules Crook said, to be fair, the Jane Austen mob can get pretty rowdy. You know, (laughs) they had George Eliot
0: in their sights. Don't Shoot the Messenger podcast with Caroline Wilson and Corrie Perkin. Thanks to Red Energy, powered by Snowy Hydro, a leader in renewable energy, call 131 806 for Real Aussie Energy. Hi, everyone, and welcome
2: to Don't Shoot the Messenger. This is episode 133 of our little podcast, and I am Corrie Perkin here with my dear friend, Caroline Wilson. Hello, Caro. Corrie, hello. The end is near, Caro. We've had the shortest day of the year. Oh, well, that's that's, We're a, very, looking up.
1: Po- that's a very positive way of looking at this
2: extremely miserable, rainy, dark morning in Melbourne. Th- but it's lovely to be here. I thought you needed a bit of cheering up. We have a terrific show for you today, Potties. Uh, rather alarming news on the coronavirus front in Victoria. Caro and I will dissect a bit of that later on. We're going to talk about the AFL. Oh, talk about a game in turmoil. Um, yes. Caro has a crush. I have a book, which is Rodham, about the fictional account of Hillary Clinton's life, which is just a must read. Caro has a screen. I've, I have a no. I don't have a recipe. You have a recipe, and I am grumpy. But Caro, first of all, apologies. I have an apology to you, my friend. Oh, what have you done? Well, my son Will alerted me to this actually last week. I said that Luke Hodge had won the Rising Star Award, the Norwich Rising Star, as it was called back in the day. And I said he hadn't. No, he'd been nominated and I apologise. Why, Miss Jane, why would you argue with Mrs Football? Well, I (laughs) I should have known. I apologise. It was just a very odd sort of thing to say. I mean... I was so sure, wasn't I? the,
1: The point about Luke Hodge is that he actually wasn't a really... He didn't really live up to his early promise because, you know, he liked going out with his mates too much. That's sort of the the way it's sort of told, and Peter Schwab had to, have, had to have a go at him and then, of course, Alistair Clarkson, and he turned into one of the greatest captains the Hawthorne Football Club has ever seen and one of the AFL's best ever captains. He's a brilliant player. but He was Earl,
2: nominated, but he didn't win it. Didn't
1: come close to winning the oh, Rising I'm Star. Oh, I'm really sorry about that. Uh, Carol, I love the way it. you believe Will and not me, by the way.
2: Oh, no, well, I oh, was, I was so certain. No, I was certain. What I did, Carol, was I checked with Will. And, um, and oh. as we were talking on the telephone, he looked it up and just said, no, Mum, you're absolutely wrong. So it wasn't as though he sort of brought it to my attention. I was believing of him. I said, look, I, have I got this right? So it was sort of like that. I've got, well, I did Did I believe you last week? Maybe not. We have an email from Gary Davis. Hi, Gary. Uh, I am 71 and live in Oshawa, in Canada. Oh, Carol, I love it when we have an overseas connection. I know, and particularly I'd love to go to Ottawa. Have you ever been to Canada? Never. Isn't that shocking? Neither have I. Well, Always I don't, know, I don't think we'll be going in the
1: next little while, darling. Prince Edward Island, that's my
2: Gary name. Davis has a, ball, has a North Bourne connection and then he grew up in Cronulla in New South Wales. And he says um, he had a friend who was uh, a Hawthorne supporter and that's how he came to hear about Caroline Wilson. I listened to both the Fox and Age podcast for fun and that, of course, led me to your Don't Shoot the Messenger and I never miss it. I love it. Oh, thanks, Gary. <laughs> He has one suggestion. In episode 132, I found that you two talked over one another too often. Given that this is audio only when you both talk, I can understand neither. I know that the show is a conversation, but sometimes the two of you are talking at the same time and it's a trouble. Look, I'm sorry, Gary. I'm Mia culpa. I am so bad at this. I get overexcited. Caro says something I have to butt in.
1: No, I think you're you're being um, unfairly hard on yourself because on every medium in which I work, I'm told not to talk over the other person. And that is the Age Real Footy podcast that I do with Jake Nile and Michael Gleeson, 3AW Football. So I actually think it might be me. I think it might be. At the very least, it's both of
2: us. All I can say, Gary, is it's girl talk. And if you are in a room or around a table with a bunch of girls, there's a very good chance that everybody is interrupting everybody and often having two conversations at the same time. Corrie, a problem shared is a problem (laughs) halved. Is that right? A problem halved?
1: Anyway, it's both (laughs) our fault. (laughs) It's both our fault. And thank you, Gary. It's lovely to hear from you.
2: Now, we have a couple of um, comments about my spider story last week. Linda Danvers said she was literally laughing out loud while walking to work about the huntsman story, or she calls them giant tarantulas. And Justin Irwin, who's a regular two-hour podcast gang um, in his correspondence. Hi, Justin and Mrs. Justin. Hope you guys are well. Uh, he spied a story, said so when he was eight or nine, and um, his mum and dad had gone on a weekend away and his two older sisters were given the run of the house and there was a huntsman nest hatched in the good room which, of course, the kids were normally never allowed to go into. But thousands of newly hatched huntsmen were hanging by threads. So his, desist- his sister decided the best thing to do was to send him, little Justin, in there with a handkerchief and a can of mortine. <laughs> oh! <laughs> That's a bit cruel. I would have a nightmare about this. Talk about recurring dreams. Bad parenting. Um, so he, the, the mortine didn't work. Um, and they pushed him back toward the wall or something. So he had an Electrolux and worked and sucked up several thousand huntsmen while he was still covered in cobwebs and resilient babies. No wonder those hairy creatures give me nightmares. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I just want to say they usually are huntsmen, not tarantulas.
2: We don't have tarantulas no, in Victoria. No, we think.
1: always called them that growing up, but they, yeah, they look huge and horrible. Do but you, they're...
2: Do you know why I think we did? Sorry to interrupt you. Sorry about that, Gary. <laughs> I've got to watch this now. There was a movie when we were growing up, with the uh, the 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 tarantulas took over the cities of America. Do you remember seeing that? Deadly Ernest had it on.
1: No, I don't. Night. I've watched Deadly Ernest occasionally, but no, I don't. I don't remember that. I just always loved that apocryphal and probably old wives' tale or what's it, urban myth? That's what they're called, urban myth, about the guy who got bitten by the spider on his neck and then, you know, the lump got bigger and bigger and bigger and eventually they pierced it and a thousand spiders came out. (laughs) It's the most, oh. Look, I'm not mad on them, but they don't bother me as much as you. I just, you know, thanks to Jim Wilson, I was saved that night. It was Jim Wilson, you were right, who got the spider, or who was there, who didn't really help, but who relieved my anxiety. You said
2: he was scared as well of
1: Well, he was there. No, you're right, he was no help at all. Now, Corrie, um, how's your June challenge going?
2: Uh, I haven't done a thing, Caro. I've been thinking a lot about Mr Kitten. I've really nailed him. You know, slightly slightly insecure, tie fetish, like loves a tie, pure silk. That's why he ends up in Miss Fluff's tie shop with the shopping money. Oh, that's a good well, idea. He was supposed to go to the supermarket to spend it on the food and oh. he ends up in the tie shop. Oh, so he's like a gambling addict. Yeah, but the nemesis... <laughs> The nemesis, having had a fox on our roof the other night, which is in itself a whole other story, if anybody has had a fox on their roof ever, could you please let us know? Because that was what was looking in the window after it had climbed over the roof. A bit terrifying. I wonder whether whether a fox might be a good nemesis. Yeah, well, you know, we do have them. We do. We do do
1: have them. I'm, I'm sticking with the bandicoot. I'm sorry. I really like the bandicoot. But if you want to have a fox... They are naughty in a lot of different stories. I think, you know, you need to have a point of difference.
2: But bandicoots are small, Caro.
1: They can be mean. Uh, Really, I mean, I'm just saying that foxes are bad in a lot of stories. (laughs) I mean, I I think you're typecasting foxes. How many bandicoots have you come across? You're trying to write an original. I thought it was going to have an Australian theme. Anyway, go with the fox. How's your your
2: going on as you mean to go on or whatever?
1: Completely hopeless as well. I've had a terrible week. I don't know. I just feel I'm in a wintry fog. Um I, I don't know. I'm not sort of – I don't feel as healthy as I did a week ago. I mean, I don't feel sick. I'm just tired and a bit cross with everything and all the positive things, all the reading I was doing has fallen by the wayside, although I have started um, Hamnet, which I'm loving.
2: I'm so pleased.
1: Anna from the Op Shop Linter set. boy, oh, boy, is her Op Shop going gangbusters at the moment. We'll have to get her in in the next few weeks. Um, no, I'm sort of, I'm walking, but my exercise isn't what it was. I just, I really need to snap out of it for July. But, so no, my monthly challenge started well, continued pretty well, ended badly.
2: Well, that is actually a sad but interesting segue to our first segment, Caro, which we're going to talk about the coronavirus in Victoria and the clusters, uh, the cluster outbreak that's occurring. Um, globally, Caro, on Sunday, we had the, Greatest number of cases registered since all of this began, 183,000 around the world. And Victoria has registered this huge spike with residents in six Melbourne municipalities on high alert as the state government declares them hotspots. And Victoria recorded 124 cases in the past seven days with on Tuesday 17 um, which made up of Australia's 20 cases nationwide. So all of the country is looking at Victoria at the moment to how we handle this. And Norman Swan, you know, who was my crush a few weeks ago on the ABC, declared the other night, this pandemic has a long way to run and there's no room for complacency or self-satisfaction. Here, here, Norman. But Caro, I have noticed absolutely distinctly and obviously a change in the mood in my customers in my family and myself. I don't know about you, well, it sounds like you have a bit, but in the last week I have had bouts of incredible anxiety and that is, um, I have to say, in a large part business-related because everybody's talking about this recession and it doesn't help that Alan Kohler's most excellent four-part series on 7.30 on ABC is just every time you watch it, you just, well, that's the end of the superannuation or that's the end of the small business. But Caro, customers have really, uh, they are really feeling this and I wonder what's happening. Well, look, I think, you know, we spoke about the feeling of optimism I had going
1: to the footy um, for round two, which was, felt like round one a couple of weeks ago. Had I known the way the Tigers were going to perform on successive Thursday nights, I probably wouldn't have felt quite so cheery to be completely shallow for a moment. But look... Oh, I think, yeah, it, it's it's like everybody became complacent. That's the way I feel in Victoria. And I, I absolutely understand why Daniel Andrews has targeted families. I mean, the the despondency, you could almost feel the despondency on his face when he delivered that press conference last Saturday. I mean, he seemed far more upset about that than all the branch stacking stuff. They just all seemed so flat in that press conference, you know, even the journos, the whole... The whole sort of feeling of optimism and we might be coming out of this and going to cinemas and we now realise that it's just so dangerous to take this to see this virus lightly. And the international figures are completely alarming. And you're right, it, it was, it's was it been a real reality check. I mean, at the moment, Victoria's at the centre of Australia's sort of spotlighting the virus because our numbers are so much worse and people are being told not to come here. Nobody wants us to go there. It's derailing so many plans of everyone and industries as well. Um, I, I sort of feel even myself, I was... Not forgetting about social distancing, but I was beginning to think we were coming out of it. And little things I might have done—I mean, not, you know, I didn't hold big parties or anything, but—and I didn't break any rules. But even just um, in shops, I sort of might have forgotten to stand the right distance behind someone. And I really hope people are listening now. And I—I I hate to be draconian, but shouldn't people who get the virus—and and apparently there are there there's honestly four or five large families that are very much responsible for this, shouldn't they be punished?
2: Well, oh, I you, they, don't know. You knock That's on their really... door
1: and they're not home. I mean, they've been told to stay home. They've got the
2: virus. They're meant to be in quarantine and they're not there. What's well, going I think, on? Well, I think if they're, they're diagnosed, I think there could be some sort of call for recourse. I'm not sure. But, you know, I kind of feel sorry for the 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 gang in the Stamford Plaza and Ridges Hotel. So you travel, you come back to, to Victoria, you quarantine for 14 days and your uh, this private security firms are overseeing these places and so, you know, cleanings going on and food coming to and from hotel rooms and so on and so forth. But it looks like these two hotels have been the sources of the most recent spike and outbreak. Close contacts with family members, uh, and the whole thing has gone nuts. Moreland, Darabin, Hume, Cardinia, Casey and Brimbank. And even if somebody is feeling slightly smug because they live in Bayside or somewhere else, don't for a second think that you're, f- you're f- you know free, free from any of that. All you need to touch is the petrol bowser or the, you know, in some public place, you go to the public bathroom and instead of covering your hand when you open or close the door, you don't. We know from our friend who had coronavirus, who acquired it, she thinks through some sort of cocktail party situation. We know how easy this can be transferred and we just have to be so careful.
1: When you think that, um, I mean, we're now allowed to go and visit a girlfriend and have a glass of wine with them and a bowl of olives or chips. But remember, back in the early days, um even among family we were separating our olives and separating our little biscuits and separating our cheese that's not happening now and i Absolutely think not. i think we really need to go back to that and i and i do think i mean i thought it was interesting um like you probably watching the abc last night this call for um better communication among the families in these areas maybe um some who don't quite understand what's going on. Do, do you need people to talk to them in their own native languages? It just It's not all people who don't speak English. I understand that. But that obviously seems to be one of the problems. it It's a big problem at the moment. And Australia still has such relative, 102 Australians have died. And you look at America and you go, look, really, this is not the massive problem here that it is anywhere else in the world. But it really needs to be Something big needs to happen in Victoria. People, the penny needs to drop.
2: So just to remind everybody, maintain your physical distance, avoid crowds, wash your hands regularly, cough and sneeze into a tissue or into your elbow, stay at home if you're not feeling well, stay at home if you're not feeling well until you can get a test because you don't know whether it's flu, cold or coronavirus. Um, if you can work from home, do for another little while. Don't travel during the school holidays. Don't travel interstate. And from last weekend, of course, Caro, the number of visitors has been reduced back to five. And I think probably for, again, as you said, on a kind of a superficial level, but, but certainly for people's um, mental health, I know there has been huge excitement about having people around for dinner or, I mean, I just extended to you via text a couple of days ago, come for dinner in a couple of weeks and there are going to be eight or ten around the table. Not anymore unless things change in that period of time. It's so depressing well, to look at only, yet another empty month. Well, it's only
1: early mid-July, isn't it? And then, then it's going to be reviewed. What about our cinema date? Is that off as well? Well,
2: no, it says businesses including gyms, cinemas, theatres and TABs can open with a maximum of 20 people per space. So even though I've bought tickets to this particular show, which I think is early July from memory – we may not be able to go. I don't know. Anyway, it's just really hard. And uh, look, I uh, again, I don't want to kind of um, be superficial about this, but bringing Prince Charles into this, he posted on. He has a very good Instagram account, and I can't remember what it's called. But it's something like Cambridge Royal Cambridge or something, but uh, or oh, no Royal Cornwall. I don't know. Anyway, Cambridge
1: Royals is. His son, oh yeah, that's, isn't son. It? that's
2: right. Yeah, thanks.
1: That's Will's and Kate.
2: He came out and said. Um, He sent a message to the young people of Australia, in fact, all the young people around the world, and he said, now more than ever, we need to support you all because your future is on the line. And in times of economic hardship, young people are often hardest hit, particularly when we know so many under-25s work in hospitality and tourism, and they've borne the brunt of this crisis. And I thought about that, Carol, and I thought about all the young people you and I know who perhaps haven't, they're still studying or they haven't got their, uh, their career job, and there they are, you know, they've lost their shift in the cafe, or they, you know they've lost their their spot at the you know behind the bar. To be honest, I'm, and it's at Clarence House by the oh, way. Oh right, at well, Clarence it. House.
1: Um, yeah, I'm. I'm more worried about older Australians than I am about young kids. I mean, I, I feel that they've got their lives ahead of them. This will this will change um a lot of young people that you and I know of, are having fantastic ideas and looking at ways that they can at the moment anyway certainly while job seeker and job keepers around use their time wisely volunteer work um various ideas they're doing stuff they're doing not that might be community work or a fantastic production idea you know all sorts of stuff is going on and they don't have superannuation to worry about i'm more i more worry for the 55s to 65s that's for for people who are really struggling at that age, who might have lost jobs and who were staring down the gun barrel of never getting a job back, or their super's been decimated, or they've had to draw on their super that they didn't think they'd have to touch till they were 70, 75, that's my focus. But I mean, I, I feel that young people might be losing a bit of heart at the moment, but they've got a lot of time to get it back.
2: Well, you're right about the older people. Alan Kohler's episode, I think it was Tuesday night, he focused on retirement, his three talking heads are terrific, Caro, including Peter Costello. Uh, but there, there's so much gloom and doom if you're over the age of 65. And so the projection is that people who thought that they may be able to retire between 65 and 70, that's now being pushed out, up by two or three years. And, of course, super is diminishing. And Peter Costello made the point, well, at least Australia has the pension. Thank God we had that safety net of the pension. But most of us would hope that we don't have to go on the pension. Most of us would hope that we would have some life savings through our hard work over a 50-year career. It's to, and the other
1: bleak area is obviously what it must be like at the moment and for some people living in nursing homes when they're not able to see the family as much as they normally could. They can't go out. I mean, it, 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 it's a pretty grim situation. Hopefully the numbers by the time we next speak, Corrie, will improve.
2: I agree. And just before uh, just before we move on to the next topic, I just want to say in our GLT section, our bonus episode, Carol and I will have a couple of tips of a more light-hearted note about what you can do to survive what could be the second wave.
1: Corey, um, I have so many tips for our GLT section this week after last week's poor performance. So now, listen I, in on Saturday, everyone.
2: I want you to tell me all about the AFL, what's happening. Connor McKenna, of course, tested positive but then didn't. I'm confused. Tell me what's going on.
1: Well, I must say, as this, as the weekend unfolded for the AFL last weekend, I thought for the first time since the last time, which was back in about April, that this season might not finish, that the whole thing was sort of imploding. We were sitting in pregame on Saturday and West Coast were arcing up about... Um, being on the Gold Coast, they wanted to go home after round five. They They still don't know whether they're going to have to quarantine at that stage in hotels or their homes when they get home. They were basically banging the table and saying, we want to go home. And I thought this is really bad for such a professional team who doesn't normally complain. For their coach and one of their senior players to be being so negative on the eve of a game was, I thought, really disturbing. The numbers in Victoria were bad and we were waiting for a Daniel Andrews press conference. And then by the end of the afternoon or mid afternoon, in fact, the, the news broke, I think, while Daniel Andrews was delivering his press conference, um, that um, Conor McKenna had tested positive for COVID 19. This is a bizarre story. As we sit here today, Conor McKenna's in quarantine. He tested negative quite a few times. Then there was an irregularity. Then he tested positive and now he's tested negative again. Now, I don't think once you've tested positive, there's any, any doubt that you at some point had coronavirus. Was he coming to the end of coronavirus? How did he catch it? Isn't, is it just too much of a coincidence that the only AFL player... To get a positive test is the one player who went home to Ireland or went overseas during the lockdown. I, I can't think that that's a coincidence myself. Um, Rumours that Connor McKenna might have been doing more than he has told the authorities he was doing in terms of human contact. Maybe he was really doing the wrong thing. Who knows? One other player, as we speak, has been quarantined as well. And look, who I, was his
2: training partner? And they they had um, yeah p- physical tackles, didn't they?
1: Yes, so it was unfortunate that it was Essendon of all clubs to have caused a game to be shut down, which is what happened on Sunday because Essendon and, and you know what happened back in 2012 2013 you know it was just really unfortunate that it was them. But they seem to have been incredibly diligent and compliant. Every club now has a compliance officer, COVID compliance officer. Theirs is very good and she seems to have done her job. So the damage as we sit here today has been minimalised it surely will happen again. I mean, surely we're going to get another positive test and how is it going to affect the AFL? This is, you know, it, it's, it was just an incredibly gloomy weekend really for the AFL and, you know, ch- not being able to deliver for Channel 7 who ended up getting a substandard game. it was It was tough for everyone concerned.
2: If there's any positive out of this, I guess it's the fact that the AFL working with the Department of Health and Human Services, that's what it is, isn't it? D-H-H-S. Yes. Has uh, it, The system is actually working pretty well when you think about how players have been told to train, how teams have been isolated, how what seemed to us on paper three or four weeks ago an absolutely bizarre uh, procedural strategy that they had come up with, how are we are going to get this game up and running and also training as well. It seems that this has worked to some extent, like the system is working. Essendon may be able to play, put up a team this week and play. Uh, Oh no, they will. The game will go ahead. And so maybe if there are other outbreaks, again, they may be containable. I am worried about the mental health, getting back to that issue, of the players and coaches and so on who are being isolated from their families. If you imagine you've probably got a family, maybe a a young baby or something, back in another state. And they are suffering. They are feeling alone and isolated and anxious because we all are. Well, that's
1: clearly the problem with West Coast. Uh, Not so much Fremantle, who seem to have a lot younger players and fewer players with families. They've been told their families can come and live in the hubs, but it's not ideal. Look, the situation's not ideal. But I still think it was a bad look for West Coast to be so negative and complain when they are living in a resort. I know it's boring but they can go and surf and play golf and go swimming and go fishing if they want to. They can go and go for a long walk and get a coffee. And Caro, they have a job. They have a job. I mean, yes, it's, I understand it's tough, but I just think at a time when so many more people are doing it so much tougher, it was not good. It looks like there will certainly now be pubs in West Australia. And what is most alarming for we Melburnians is that the, Tas- the West Australian Premier, Mark McGowan, is saying that they're going to get full crowds Back at their stadium by in within a month or two, which is going to mean that they're going to make a very big push for the grand final. And if you can't get more than 20 25,000 people at the MCG, and as we sit here today, that's looking sort of quite optimistic. Imagine a Perth grand final, just wouldn't be the same, would it?
2: Well, you'd get a nice little flight over to Perth out of it.
1: I don't think so, I'm presuming
2: I don't think they'll be allowing
1: Victorians there. You're joking. <laughs> No, I'll be watching it on the television if it's in Perth.
2: Caro, you have a crush, and uh, we'd like to thank our sponsors of our little podcast, Red Energy, terrific energy company. Call one three one eight zero six for Real Aussie Energy. Who or what is your crush?
1: Corey? there were so many choices of crushes this week, which oh, was a really? good sign. Really good. And I didn't go with Eddie Betts, but... I just thought what he achieved on Saturday night after that shocking week of again having to put up with racist trolls, as he has every year of his entire playing career, I thought that was a very, very – he bounced back on Saturday night in Carlton's narrow win over Geelong and performed the match-saving tackle, which was just unbelievable. I was also really impressed by Ben Amafio, the North Melbourne chief executive, who – basically in a really traumatic interview with the Herald Sun, talked about the racism he has suffered as a child, as a teenager, and even in his adult life, horrific stories about living in footy teams and players not wanting to share drink bottles with him, etc. So they were both very impressive. But no, I've gone back to the world to my all-time favourite, David Stratton, who, as you know, he's been writing, the film critic, has been writing some brilliant Movie columns over COVID. He's not reviewing movies anymore. And he just wrote a brilliant one on the weekend. So I want to mention him again. He writes in the Weekend Review in the Australian, but he wrote a great piece about um, movie stars who play against type. And he's selected a whole lot of stories. He looks at Tom Cruise in Collateral. He looks at Julie Garland in Judgment at Nuremberg when she plays that incredible role of the Jewish Holocaust survivor. Um, Deanna Durbin and Gene Kelly in a movie called Christmas Holiday, which is far more sinister than it sounds. Anyway, David Stratton, you can do a lot worse than buying The Weekend Australian every week just to read him. His columns have been brilliant.
2: I can imagine when you saw the title of that column, your little eyes would have lit up, Caro. Oh, look, it honestly. Would been, you would have loved to have written a, a, uh, one like that. Oh,
1: every column. He's had some brilliant ideas and a lot of them um, invoke them his own memories of going to the cinema as a child. They've been fantastic. So that's my crush of the week. But Corrie, for Red Energy, call 131-806 for Real Aussie Energy. You have a book as part of our book screen and food segment, which I, is now starting.
2: I do. BSF. Welcome down. Now, Rodham, a novel by Curtis Sittenfeld. Caro, you know Curtis Sittenfeld. She is uh, an author in probably her 40s. She was born in Ohio in the US. And um, you might remember her. She wrote a few years ago a book called American Wife, which was the tale of Alice Blackwell, a fictional character who she loosely based on the former First Lady Laura Bush. Great book. Love that. And Rodham is her latest And again, she's looked to the uh, political women of America, and her subject is Hillary Rodham Clinton. And what she's done here, Caro, is imagined a parallel universe for Hillary Rodham, a young, bright young law student from Yale who falls in love with a very charismatic, tall, handsome young student, Bill Clinton. They have a, an affair, relationship of about two or three years. He asks her a couple of times, will you marry me? He is at this stage a serial flirt and a little bit more. I won't give too much away. And Could Hillary, have told you that, Dr Dog. And Hilary <laughs> decides, <laughs> sorry about that, Gary from Ottawa, who... Um, and he decides, she decides that she will not marry him. And so she goes on to have a very interesting career. Oh, such so a sliding doors wall thing. Kind of, yes. I mean, the sliding doors, we don't read the two, the real and the actual, but we know the real, we know what happens. So, the, look, do I love this book? I wouldn't say I loved it, but I could not put it down, Caro. A couple of the sex scenes... Between Bill and young Bill and young Hillary, I found slightly disturbing because it's a bit like imagining your mum and dad in bed, or John and Jeanette Howard, or you know like these like eminent people in our lives, world leaders. And I just don't really want to hear how Hillary has an orgasm in the car. But look, apart from that, it's really gripping this book because it raises for people of women of yours and my age in particular. We can remember when it was so tough for women to break the glass ceiling. And Hillary does, not just as a law professor, but also in her next career, which I can't give away. It's a terrific read. I couldn't put it down, as I said, and um, it's Rodham by Curtis Sittenfeld. Now, what's your screen? Caro?
1: Well... It's um, an amalgam, really. I think I think, given that Mrs. America is just finished and we both absolutely loved it. Did you see the last episode?
2: Uh, thank goodness. You and I haven't seen each other to have a chat about this. I've been dying to workshop it and I don't want to give anything away, Potties. But I had tears. I thought Kate Blanchett's final scene in the kitchen is one of remarkable
1: performance. It's one of her great performances, isn't it? I, I see that um, Gloria Steinem has panned the series and said that it's given far too much credit to Phyllis Shafley. And she said it was the insurance companies that destroyed the Equal Rights Amendment, which still hasn't got all the states as we sit here now in 2020, which is incredible. But what was really sad was um, all the stuff at the end, you know, when they show the photos of the real people and what what happened, that never never before or since have the women had a bigger influence in the american political system that it just it just no longer is happening so for that reason alone i think it was a fa- and i think some of the performances were absolutely brilliant but there's been a lot of the films and TV series that have come out over the last couple of years and a couple more coming out soon, Corrie, and I just think it's really interesting. So the Me Too movement had The Loudest Voice, which was brilliant, with Russell Crowe playing Roger Ailes. And then, of course, there was Bombshell, similar story focusing on some of the different women. Did you see that? Yeah, I did. I liked it. I didn't love it. Um, but it was good. Naomi Watts was in that. Um, she she was really good. So was Nicole Kidman. Um Obviously, The Assistant is one I haven't seen, but this is a sounds like a very creepy rendition of a Harvey Weinstein type boss who you never see and the assistant who is his assistant and what she has to do and the way she is treated. And she works, I think, for a big film producer or a a big agent, I can't remember, but... It, it's had very very good reviews, but I think it's quite slow moving. Is this a
2: film to come, film right. film? Yeah.
1: Then it's an American film. Then of course, some I saw Suffragette a few years ago, which focused on some of the unsung heroes of the suffragette movement. Was that the one with Meryl Streep? Yeah, she. She played um Emily Pankhurst. Pankhurst, that's it. But it more focuses on other women. That was a really good film. There's a new one coming out with Kira Knightley called Misbehaviour. And this centres around the Miss World pageant of nineteen seventy, when a group of women stormed onto stage and protested. And Kira Knightley plays a conservative young woman who becomes embroiled in the women's movement. So there seems to be now a, a plethora and there'll be more Me Too movies, I'm sure. I'm sure. Um, coming out and sort of showing things from the women's point of view. But of all of them, I just found Mrs America and some of the performances absolutely brilliant. I know some of the characters were sort of amalgams of people and made up. But particularly, you know,
2: Betty Friedan and obviously Phyllis Shafley, I just thought were fabulous. Carol, it's been 50 years since the women's movement really took hold of this planet and shook it around. And... Isn't it fantastic that finally we can look at it from an historical perspective with uh, biases or intelligence or whatever and dissect it for what it was? Which was, you know, when you think about it, you and I were kids, but I can remember my mother going off to women's electoral lobby meetings in, in Bermoris back in the day, uh, how women just put down their aprons and said, enough. Well, and, yes, and, and then all the legislation that followed. Now, we can argue as older feminists that we haven't gone far enough and that there are still so many battles. But when you think about where we were and where we went in that short period of time, which Mrs America covers, it's really quite extraordinary what was achieved. Well, yes, except... How much has been achieved? And we'll talk oh, well,
1: about that when you address your grumpy. But
2: I know, but, but thinking more about things like legislation of, you know, equal pay and childcare, um, which, you know, here in Australia, Paul Keating really made that part of the economic agenda rather than family or women's um, ministry. He moved it into the economic portfolio, which was huge. I mean, it's on, in so many areas, women from that period of time between 1968 to about 1984, so much change occurred around the world.
1: Long way to go, Corrie.
2: Long way to go, Carol. The good, A
1: good news story from the AFL this week was that they are not cutting back in terms of their funding of the AFLW, which is fantastic and a very smart political move by them. The um, If you want to watch Mrs America, it's on Foxtel, I think Showtime. It's really, really good. Now, Corrie, um, I have a recipe. I, I did butt in with this recipe because my daughter Clementine sent it to me yesterday and I cooked it last night. Um it's from our friend Wendy. You know our friend Wendy who came to our podcast and won all the prizes. Yes. At Christmas. Hi Wendy. We love Wendy. Um How did Clem get it from Wendy? Well she he goes out with Wendy's son and oh. she went there for Sunday dinner. <laughs> Um, oh, good this on is you, Glenn. This recipe emanates – now, I never know how to pronounce this shop. It, there used to be one in Hawkesburn. There's still one at the Paran Market. Oh, the Kvartsevastavishta, whatever. It's spelled
2: G-E-W-I-R-Z – oh, dear me – H-A-U-S. Anyway. It's a spice shop and I think you have to have a German or Austrian background to be able to pronounce it correctly. It's the most
1: fantastic shop and you can go online and buy gifts from it too. Anyway, North African lamb and pearl barley soup. This is more than a soup. It is a Sunday night dinner. It's an any night dinner. It's like a beautiful, yummy casserole and Kell Island. It is so simple. It's got (laughs) about... I know, I know, but she's a great cook. She just <laughs> agrees that we, sometimes we get a bit fussy, and I agree with her. This is basically a lamb shank recipe, and my old colleague from Footy Classified, Gary Lyon, always used to say he made the best lamb shank soup, but it seemed to have a lot of ingredients. This one is so simple, Corrie. It feeds, um, according to this recipe, four to six people, but three of us ate it last night, and there was a few leftovers, not that many. Get two lamb shanks. Brown them all over in olive oil, in your big le creuset or whatever cook pot. Take, um, add a chopped, a sliced onion, two cloves of chopped garlic, two carrots, and two sticks of celery, all chopped up. Chuck that in and stir it round for a few minutes. Then you add about oh, you add about six things, which include the grizzlewitz but I can't pronounce it, Moroccan souk spice. Now, I just went to the market. I couldn't find it, so I just brought a Moroccan spice. It's called Moroccan spice or Moroccan seasoning. I put that in. You also put in a cup of canned tomatoes, uh, sorry, a can of tomatoes, six cups of water and a beef stock cube. I just put in six cups of chicken, light chicken stock, which I had in the freezer. A heaped teaspoon of the (laughs) gruza... The harissa.
2: aforementioned spice shop, which harissa. we can't mention because we can't pronounce it, harissa though. But you can get that. Jane, how's as your well. German? Come on, you're from Adelaide. Then,
1: <laughs> then this is. These are the two ingredients that really you know beef it up. Hundred grams of barley, hundred grams of dry, dried lentils. I use those little black ones, the puy lentils. Um, chuck it all. Did in you it. soak them overnight, or did no, you soak them in the can? No, 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 uh, you buy them. No, dried, but they're the little black ones. You don't need to chuck them in the pot stir it all around chuck it in a 180 oven for 2 hours in an oven yep just leave it and what i did um because i had a busy afternoon i turned the oven off after about an hour and a quarter and just left it in the oven all afternoon took it out at dinner time you um put over yogurt on the top and chopped herbs whatever you've got it says i think it says parsley mint and chives i did parsley dill and mint because that's what i had fresh put that over the top it is beautiful. It is so yummy. It is the easiest and best. It's like a soup, but it's more than a soup. It's a well, casserole. You, well,
2: you say it's easy for poor Kel, but what if she doesn't have the grisly witsy place up in Sydney? Go to the
1: market and buy Moroccan seasoning. Okay. Go to the supermarket and buy Moroccan. That's what I did. Cause go I to Morocco.
2: No, you can't Kel. You can't anyway, that's
1: Morocco. my recipe, Corrie. It was Sounds absolutely delicious. beautiful. And I'm going to send it to Miss Jane now and she's going to put it on the website.
2: Okay, that's BSF for this week. Thank you, Red Energy. Powered by Snowy Hydro, a leader in renewable energy. Call 131 806 for Real Aussie Energy. Why are you grumpy, Corey? I was going to say they're a Melbourne-based team, Caro, and just tell them that Corey and Caro <laughs> sent you, as one of our listeners did this week and received a very nice reception. I am grumpy, Caro, as you said, 50 years since the women's movement, 50 years since we started creating changes in policy and attitudes. But in I am dismayed, Caro, that there are still people in industries and professions who hear about a male colleague's penchant for naughty behaviour, read sexual harassment, and the colleagues do nothing about it. I'm talking particularly in this case with former High Court Judge Dyson Hayden, Allegations of sexual harassment emerged this week. Of course, Dyson Hayden has denied this through his solicitors. Uh, Stories have come out in the last couple of days, particularly a brilliant report in the Sydney Morning Herald on Wednesday, which has there is a litany of, of examples where he has misbehaved, Brooke Greenwood, a, a lawyer, a female lawyer in the Public Interest Advocacy Centre, tweeted the other day, I was an associate two years after Dyson Hayden left the High Court of Australia. I remember being warned of his behaviour when retired justices returned for events. Warnings passed on by successive cohorts of female associates trying to protect themselves and each other. Now, my beef here, my grumpiness, Carol, is not so much with the females, you and I, uh, have been in positions ourselves as young reporters in male-dominated newsrooms and working in, uh, in, in places like the AFL. We have been subjected to sexual harassment or innuendo, and we were too fearful to speak up, or maybe we didn't. The culture was
1: that we didn't. I, these stories are an anathema to me. I'm horrified by this and I don't remember seeing anything like this. I
2: don't blame the women, but a number of these women who have, uh, the six women who have uh, made these allegations against Dyson Hayden while he was at the High Court, they have been believed, they have been verified, and the Chief Justice of the High Court, to her credit, has apologised to the women and talked to each one of them individually. I think Chief Justice Susan Keffel is... Uh, has her behaviour has been exemplary in this and the High Court's response has been wonderful. But how many times do we hear Ma- men mainly have heard from younger women in their workplace that something's going on and they do nothing about it. Well,
1: they knew, they would have known anyway. They would have seen it at the functions. I mean, it's interesting that social functions have been pointed out as being one area that they're going to um, not make mandatory. The worst part of the story is that the three women that were focused on the news report I saw late last night is... Um, that they all gave left up the, the law. law. It's just shocking, shocking. It's really a terrible. And as for his, too, too, it's too little too late, but I hope they get compensation. I think they will. And as for his explanation, well, he denies it all, but if he upset anyone, he's sorry, or if he offended anyone, he's sorry, for I, heaven's I sake. Just, I
2: just want this grumpy to resonate around living rooms and in cars and offices wherever people listen to this podcast. Men and women, have a chat about if you're, high up in an industry or profession and it is the 21st century. We have had the hashtag Me Too movement. For goodness sake, do something. If you hear of a complaint, do something. That's all I'm saying, Caro. Off my soapbox now, six quick questions. Why has Sam Newman left Channel 9 and is it time?
1: Look, he's left Channel 9 because he no longer rates and he's no longer someone who is going to draw an audience and, you know, in many case is the opposite. He's done a lot of offensive and terrible things in the past that have been, you know, sexist, racist, whatever. But because he was high rating, it was put up with. But now no one really cares. So he's finished. And yes, it is time. Corrie, what's the most <laughs> curious protection of statue stories you've heard this week?
2: Oh, so, Carol, we know that because of Black Lives Matter, a lot of people are attacking statues of slave traders and Confederate leaders in the US and so on. There was a group of protesters in Nuneaton in Warwickshire who found themselves protecting a local statue. So there's this photograph of about six blokes surrounding a statue of a woman, a rather attractive statue. They actually had no idea who she was. It was the 19th century English writer George Eliot. Oh, for (laughs) heaven's
1: sake. So
2: so when it was pointed out to them, they were a bit, um, well, look, we're just here because we wanted to... You look after all the statues. <laughs> Do you research, protesters. That's shocking. Little did they know. Little did they know that George Eliot was a well-known critic of slavery, and um, and a woman. what did she? Middle March. Middle March. Yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, as somebody said, I think it might have been even on the fortunately by Fee and Jane podcast, I think it was Jane who said, look, Middlemarch wasn't that bad. Nobody's going to attack (laughs) attack a statue of George Eliot. But social media went off. Jules Crook said, to be fair, the Jane Austen mob can get pretty rowdy. You know, (laughs) They had George Eliot in their sights. Um, Eliot fans have been radicalised. And then someone said, were they part of the All Statues Matter group, which I thought was cheeky. Anyway, there you go, Caro. That just gave me a laugh over the weekend. How did you spend the shortest day of the year Caroline Wilson?
1: I did feel sorry for Captain Cook by the way. I mean, you know, he he met his match in the end, didn't he? Anyway. Um what did, I spent it playing bridge, Cory? Sorry. I just I played bridge. He was
2: speared in Hawaii. Yes, yeah, sorry. I'm on to bridge.
1: Yeah. I played bridge um from Online? No. Um my mum, Julia, who must come back on the show sometime soon, and my two aunts and my cousin, Georgie, all came round, and we spent a very... Happy afternoon. Well, it, it was... Can th- five people play bridge? Once it's out. But it was just such a lovely afternoon to oh. actually play in person again.
2: How nice.
1: And we socially distanced. I made the much-talked-of apple and raspberry cake. In fact, I was bowled up at the market yesterday by a very nice chap who was going home to make our apple and raspberry cake. He said, I'm, I love the podcast. I love all the unresolved
2: tension. I thought, oh, that's
1: interesting. <laughs>
2: In, in you personally or between us? No, between us. Oh, how hilarious. Ask me another question. Oh, Come on, okay. move on. What do you love and hate about
1: cooking pasta?
2: I love the way if you get a good orichetti or a piné, the way it captures the juices. And uh, I made a really terrific ragu over the weekend. And I just thought, gosh, that, it, I just love pasta for the way it does this. What I hate about pasta is that you always cook too much. Well, I do. I try and get it just right. I'm almost counting Could them I Could not out.
1: agree more. That is very accurate. I never get it yeah. right, yeah. so
2: it drives me bonkers. Um, Can I quickly ask you? Do you do the pasta
1: water thing, where you're meant to save a bit and throw it in the sauce? No, they...
2: I, uh, some recipes do that. And in fact, I went to I uh, had a cooking lesson in Italy, which sounds incredibly upper middle class, doesn't it? But uh, years ago, I had this cooking class, and the nonna who taught us how to make this fantastic ragu did that. But I always forget it. Well,
1: I've started doing it, and it actually does work. Uh, I but I agree. I agree about the cooking too. There's much. a cer-
2: certain thickness, I think, to it that um, is better than just plain water. Caro, what's your favourite winter cocktail or drink? Onto alcohol again. Negroni, Cory.
1: Come on, you know that. And guess who gave me um, little Negroni
2: bottles for my birthday? Sam Newman, Ross Lyon. Who knew? <laughs> Who knew? Who knew what? What, that he listens to the podcast or but, he knows that you like Negronis? Yeah, or who knew that, Anything. Ross, that Ross Lyon, well, I, when I, I might have mentioned. That Ross Lyon's
1: generous? I might, know that he would, um, no, well, it just, as I said to him, this time last year if someone, Ross, had told me that you would be giving me you know, designer cocktail bottles of Negroni, I wouldn't have believed it because obviously he was coaching Fremantle and was under under the pump. Oh, it's just such a great drink. As, as my mother Julia said when I bought her one for the first time last year, Corey, she said, um, There's so many, it's got every single ingredient in it. You only need one, which is true. It's got gin and Campari and dark vermouth. And these bottles Ross gave me, they're all made up into one. And one little bottle does about three people with a rind of orange, which if you you sear the orange on a flame, the orange rind, it is the best drink. And you only need one. Okay, Corrie, how do you feel about fridge magnets?
2: Look, I love a fridge magnet, Caro, and the reason I put this down because I'm interested whether you like them or and Jane and whether our potties like fridge magnets. Could you let me know? I've had this discussion with my colleague at work because I wanted to create or I do want to create a my bookshop fridge magnet with our phone number, free home delivery, and my colleague said that she's not a fridge magnet person; that she likes a clean surface which has made me since look at every fridge I have visited to see who has them and who doesn't. It's a
1: funny thing you say that because our friend Joe, the friend, the slave, the babysitter, the chef – just think abhors fridge magnets, thinks they are the most bogan, dreadful, messy thing. I'm a fridge magnet sucker. If I'm overseas and at a a gallery and they've got a good fridge magnet or a a town that has a fridge magnet, I always buy them. And I think if I was you, I would definitely design one for my bookshop.
2: Well, I have one that has the Telstra code on it, which is always very helpful when somebody comes to, what's your internet password and so on. We have one for the local plumber, always handy in a crisis. Miss Jane, do you hang up Huey's artworks
0: on the fridge with a fridge magnet? I tried to be a no fridge magnet mum and got about halfway through first year kinder and just went, whatever. But could could local politicians please stop sending really large, expensive... I've got a 2018 calendar with some local liberal <laughs> candidate on it that I holding just up to drawing off. of the yes, train. It's yeah. very handy, but they go out of date really quickly, and I hate to throw them out. So then you end up with a crowded, horrible, you know, dodgy fridge just advertising local plumbers. No, my mind gets completely out of hand at the moment. On
1: my fridge is um a photo of Billy, my Labrador, and a lovely Aww. and a lovely photo, a lovely card from Rose from Amsterdam. And Jack Revolt and Dustin
2: Martin at the moment the siren sounded last year. (laughs) Tragic, tragic. It's still there. So, Potties, we'd love to hear from you about the fridge magnet thing. And, in fact, that is a nice segue to our conclusion of our podcast because we will invite you here and now to give us some feedback and comments. We love hearing from you guys. You can send your suggestions and tips and just general comments about spiders, fridge magnets, the Richmond Footy Club, whatever to the Don't Shoot the Messenger Facebook page or you can leave a comment on Instagram and Twitter and the handle there at both those venues is Don't Shoot Pod. You can uh, email us as Gary Davis did from Ottawa. Hi, Gary again. Thanks for your lovely note. And the email is feedback at dontshootpod.com.au. Don't forget our 40 Tips episode, which drops in each Thursday and, of course, our GLT bonus episode, which drops into your podcast stream on a saturday thank you to jane neild our wonderful producer if it wasn't for you we wouldn't be here miss jane and um, well i wouldn't go that far <laughs> who now has Kidding. her own who now has her own gardening show called the sport of gardening and what else Carol? is that all
1: don't shoot the
0: messenger Corey. This podcast is supported by Red Energy, powered by the mighty Snowy Hydro, a leader in renewable energy. Red is 100% Australian owned and local phone 131 806 If you love an insightful podcast Red Energy's podcast lifestyle series is for you. Real estate, cooking, parenting, home design plus the sport of gardening with Dale Vine. I never thought I'd say it Jane but compost is on trend at the moment it is is as
2: cool as a hairstyle by Dustin Martin I can tell you.
0: Powered by Snowy Hydro a leader in renewable energy switch to Aussie owned Red Energy today. Red Energy's podcast lifestyle series available wherever you get your podcasts and the SEN app.